we are getting ready to launch astronauts again, so that responsibility is huge. NASA's had a high level of insight into every aspect of this design to ensure flight crew safety. I was talking to my grandmother recently and telling her what I do and what, what we're doing, and she said, you know, you're making history, and it's, it's just something we don't think about, but it's true. Welcome back to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast that taps into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. The countdown to Launch America is on as preparations continue for the first launch of American astronauts on an American rocket from American soil since 2011. NASA astronauts Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley will fly on this SpaceX Crew Dragon spacecraft for the Demo-2 mission, which is scheduled to lift off May 27th for an extended stay at the International Space Station. Today on the podcast, we're joined by the three NASA chief engineers on the Commercial Crew program. We'll discuss key takeaways from the work so far. The technically diverse team that's making this happen, benefits of shared accountability, and much more. Let's start with brief introductions. All right, good morning, Dina. So this is Stephen Sullivan. I'm the commercial crew chief engineer for the program. Been with NASA for 34 years. So um, been doing um, working with commercial crew for the last 10 from the beginning when we was a kind of a concept and we worked our way through um, the requirements phase all the way up into flight. Hi, and I'm Chris Lupo. I serve as the Commercial Crew Program Spacecraft Chief Engineer. Um, I'm also Sullivan's Deputy. I've been at NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston for about 30 years now. Good morning. I'm Deborah Crane. I'm the Commercial Crew Program Chief Engineer for the Launch Vehicles. And I come from a propulsion engineering background, and I work shuttle at Kennedy Space Center. And I've been at Marshall Space Flight Center for 13 years. Welcome to all of you. We are so glad to have you on the podcast today. With launch fast approaching, what's getting most of your attention? I'll start off with that one. Um, as we get closer and closer to actually flying, launching crew, and as you integrate hardware in preparation for that flight, you do incur some nonconformances. It's just a natural part of the whole process. And that requires your assessment for everything that happens to make sure that you are safe to either to use as is or if you need to do something to correct that. And also, as we go forward, there are other flights that are going on with vehicles that are similar to ours that we're going to be using for the upcoming crewed flight. And so we do have to assess any anomalies that occur during testing and preparation for that flight or any anomalies that occur during flight. And we have to assess those to make sure that there is no crossover application to our vehicles. And if there is, how do we mitigate that concern? So that is definitely getting our attention right now. And as you kind of get on the fast track towards that launch, things do happen that require your assessment um, pretty much on a daily basis. Things could occur. So it does keep us busy. I think a, another primary um, thing that we're doing as we're closing out towards launch is um, in the verification space. This is the evidence or the substantiation that the, the design met the requirements that NASA levied on it. We're completing all the independent assessments and verification, the independent modeling. So we're and we're closing it out. And a single in the, um, verification can be over a hundred thousand pages of evidence or analysis that backs up 
a design. So um, we're going through an army of engineers, a small army of engineers are going through all the verifications that the provider SpaceX has given us. And we're just checking them, make sure that um, all the evidence is there. Another key factor we have to look at is all the individual risk. We, we try to close out the risk or eliminate the risk wherever possible, but that's not always possible. So if there's, there are some risks that the program has to accept and the engineering team builds a story with flight rationale, brings that forward. And so we're spending a lot of time getting those final risks closed out or at least accepted for this flight. And then another key aspect is to step back and look at all the risk we've accepted over the years and what is the aggregate risk? Did we, in accepting a risk in one area, did we create a stacked risk in another area? And so it's important to step back and understand that. Are roles and responsibilities different with the commercial crew program? I I think the roles and responsibilities are the same on commercial crew. It's just split up a little bit differently than the traditional NASA program. So so the shared assurance model, you know, there's a tremendous trust in the partnership with both um, SpaceX and Boeing. So this design, they truly own this design. This is all their work. We're really checking um, and making sure they're in compliance with what we would expect for requirements. So there's a, a, a tremendous trust. We're looking for the same commitment to flight crew safety that would be in a traditional NASA program and making sure that human spaceflight culture is instilled into um into all aspects of the the manufacturing, the processing, and the closeout of the design. So um, let's see, the roles and responsibilities are very close. Um, you know, from a NASA perspective, we, we practice kind of a risk-based approach. I think that's been traditionally done on most programs too. So um, we're really focusing on those critical items that could cause a loss of a crew or cause a catastrophic failure. So and we're really digging deep to try to look at the, the designs and the assessments and try to give the program management, the best read on, on where we think the risk is on the design. So we put a lot of um, feedback into um, design reviews. And we try to show areas of non-compliance early so we can try to get the design augmented or corrected in, in the direction that we want to go. And I want to add too, um, as a chief engineer, I think our roles and responsibility really has not changed because we'd still work through technical issues with the engineering teams and we find resolutions or assessment. And as Chris mentioned earlier, the, the risk and the aggregate risk. So as an engineer, we still have to assess the technical risk and what does that mean and how we communicate that to the program and to management. One of the challenges that we have had that's a little bit different is that you know we've got existing vehicles, say for the launch vehicles, we've got existing designs that we are assessing against NASA design and construction standards. So that has been a challenge because rather than having those standards that you design to, we're seeing how an existing design fits within those pre-existing standards. And then our commercial providers also have put together what we're calling their alternate standards. So they take our requirements and how they propose to meet the intent of those requirements. And then our team has to assess that. So that's that's a little bit different than what we've technically done or as far as sequentially done relative to those standards. And we've got a diverse team. We've got a diverse team of technical experts that must assess all of those standards against, you've got um, materials and processes, you've got your safety factors, you've got your mechanisms, avionics and software. So you've got quite a technical, diverse team that has to assess 
existing designs or even be able to provide some of their influence into what needs to be modified to those designs. What are your thoughts on the approach that's been taken with commercial crew and how it compares or contrasts with the traditional approach? I guess one of the one of the biggest differences is the small footprint on the NASA side. Uh, traditionally, NASA teams were much larger with an oversight role, and now we have more of an insight role where we're digging into the partners, getting an understanding of how they're operating, uh, but not the same same type of role that we've had in the past. So, with that small footprint, we're really relying on that shared assurance model, but. What we've seen as, as the program has progressed is that although that plan to have that initial small footprint was out there, the overall NASA management team had different expectations than that original plan. And that's been a challenge as we get closer to launch, thinking that we've had a similar large footprint trying to dig into these partners that we haven't had and overall has been a challenge to get the management team to understand. And in addition to that, um, the commercial crew program, we use hazard reports. So as a process to ensure that we've got risk mitigation efforts, that they're implemented, and that we've got proper controls in place to minimize those hazards that have been identified for, for all the various systems of our vehicles, as well as operation of the vehicles. So that's a little different approach. And we've had hazards before, but we use that more of a leveraged to ensure we put proper controls and design, maybe modifications in place to address those hazards. And what I've seen with the commercial partners, um, they both have very unique ways to approach the design and development. So um, they challenge the requirements a little bit more. They want to understand the basis of where they were derived and, and why they're levied on them. And so there's a little bit of more challenging um, on the requirement side. They bra- embrace new technology or new non-traditional approaches in their designs um, across the board. And, and that's actually forced uh, kind of NASA to pull in experts from across the agency um, and in the different NASA center, centers. So I think there's more utilization of what we call the NASA Engineering Safety Center, the NESC. So it's a group of technical fellows that are um, discipline experts. And it, it's really forced us to do actually additional testing or understanding of the physics that's going on or the chemistry of a new approach or, or maybe a methodology that the partner is using. So um, so it, a lot of places are using um, kind of non-traditional spaceflight things that we haven't had experience with. So um, at the end of the day, I, I think um, it ends up being the traditional approach. So I think all that evidence that we were talking in the beginning on verifications, those hundreds, hundreds and thousands of pages of um, substantiation ends up getting you there to the design closeout, ensuring that the design is done correct. What are some of the key lessons learned so far? Oh, key lessons learned. There's so many. I think you could spend hours on key lessons learned. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, if I was giving advice to um, someone kind of following on in a similar type of program, the levying the NASA standards um, in the beginning, um, headquarters levied all the NASA standards in what they call meets the intent. So um, traditionally, we, we go with a meets a standard, like you have to meet a specific NASA standard. But meets the intent causes you to have a dialogue with the provider early on to try to figure out ex- expectations. So um, there's been cases where um, there's things in our standards or um, guidelines 
that um, are challenged and, and they're rightly challenged. Some of them have been actually found to be an error. So things that were done in the 70s or testing that was done in the 70s or 80s, and now you're looking back and, and some things were actually done wrong. So getting those NASA standards um, meets the intent and getting that dialogue across the design team is super important. I, I think the second thing early on in the in the design phase is getting what we call seasoned engineers. These are NASA engineers that have a lot of experience and um, hands-on type of design. You know, um, they're, they're very um, knowledgeable of their discipline. They do their own analysis and work, and, and they can have a dialogue that's based in data, in fact, uh, on the design, maybe the shortcomings or other ways of doing the design. So um, getting those seasoned engineers into the partner, getting them as close as you can to the responsible engineer doing the design that has big benefit at the end. And I think probably the third biggest lesson learned is um, don't design something that you can't analyze. There's a lot of ways to do many of the approaches in the in the spaceflight type designs. But um, if you don't really have a way of analyzing, it really forces you into a lot of empirical testing. So um, making sure that you when you're, you look at how you're going to close out and qualify that design, what type of um, analysis needs to be um put into it. And if you can't answer a lot of the basic questions at the beginning, it's going to force you into a, a very expensive, lengthy test program to prove out that design. So, yeah, I think Steve hit a lot of the key points there, um, especially with requirements and verification development. It's it's really key to, to understand as early as you can, if there's any disconnects in the partner's interpretation of the requirements. Uh, we did spend a lot of time trying to get that clear up front, but we found as the designs matured that how we thought they were going to apply the requirements and how the requirements actually got implemented weren't always the same. And getting those disconnects resolved later resulted in challenges. And so if you can try and make sure that's covered and especially the verification aspects of it early, that'll really help. Another key thing to think about is with with the new partners, we are encouraging them to, to expand the way we're doing business, change the way we're doing business. And so there are some things um, that are unique to human spaceflight, and it's important to pay attention to how that new technology is being used, or even if it's an existing system design type technology that maybe is being used different than it was in the past, like higher operating pressures or ramp rates than previous experience. Those are key areas to pay attention to, make sure that you really understand, really qualify that, really qualify to that. And then as the systems mature, another thing to pay attention to is is how the vehicles operate it versus uh, maybe how it was qualified to make sure that we're not getting outside of those qual limits. And I think Steve and Chris have touched on a lot of what I'm going to bring up, but as far as how NASA, how we assess adaptive designs in vehicles versus ex- uh, accepting design as is an already established design. And yet we've got, and we've, as I already mentioned, we've got a small team and a lot of our experts in different areas are working both vehicles. So I think as far as lessons learned, and, and as far as timelines coming up too, as we're getting ready for launch, that we've got um, a small team that's working very hard. They're very dedicated, but they're working on both vehicles somewhat, in a way, simultaneously. So we've got to be cognizant of that as we go forward as a lesson learned to make sure that we do have you know, a team that is aligned with the agency's goals, you know, and also that's aligned technically 
and also that we've got um, allocation and how we how we utilize their efforts um, strategically as we go forward. Have you felt a different sense of responsibility working with this new model for human spaceflight? I'd say to some extent, I feel like we have more responsibility because there's, we have such a smaller team. Um, so there more more people have to take more on their shoulders, I guess is a good way to say it. I have to agree with Chris. I think it's a greater responsibility, again, working two different commercial partners um, simultaneously with different designs, with a small team. And also the fact that we are getting ready to launch astronauts again. So that responsibility is huge. And it's been a a long time coming that we have this opportunity to do so. So I do think that we have a greater responsibility right now, not only from a NASA agency perspective, but from the American public perspective. Another unique aspect of the commercial partnership is that unlike previous designs where NASA owned the vehicle, um, the partners own the vehicle, and so we have to be aware of the proprietary nature of these commercial designs, and that that does put more challenges on the team, both in collaboration and how we share the data. Um, that has been something that we've had to learn to deal with. Are there benefits of shared accountability that we haven't highlighted? I, I think shared accountability kind of gives you the opportunity, kind of the share the culture that. Um, that, that NASA has been really traditionally been doing since the uh, Mercury, Apollo, shuttle. So it allows you to kind of spread that culture of, um, of, of digging deep on the designs, understanding your, your, your limits and your qualifications and, and all the physics that are going on to your design. So I think it allows to kind of the, the spread that culture a little deeper across the commercial sector. So I, I think the shared accountability model has worked. I think, um, both partners have full accountability and responsibility for their designs. And then NASA's had a high level of insight into every aspect of this design to ensure flight crew safety. I think there has been a cultural shift within NASA, too, to adopt this approach. I think we found ways to make it efficient. I think also I think it's good to question the requirements and to really assess their applicability and also to be able to try to identify efficiencies in our approach and develop maybe new methods to our approach and strategies and to be able to accommodate working with a smaller team and still try to make that progress. So definitely, I think there have been benefits to this. And I know other programs are looking at us as far as, okay, what did you do? How did you accomplish this? And what lessons have you learned from this approach that we can apply in the future? also think it's helped us maybe break down some of the walls within NASA. So uh, as a young engineer growing up in the engineering organization, I didn't have a lot of interaction with the operations teams and the SNMA teams. I feel like in this shared accountability approach, uh, we've become this melded team that you have to work together. We're counting on each other to do our each part together because we don't have the people to do it by ourselves. Let's talk more about the team. Chris, how would you describe the team and the dynamics of the commercial crew program? Now, what I like to tell people is I get to work with world experts every day. Um, We're really working with a great team. I've always been impressed uh, with NASA and the partners, how smart the the team is. It's it's incredible the amount of expertise that is out there that we're able to draw on. 
and it, it, I'm fortunate every day to work with the team. They've been so diligent in, in tracking down all the issues and burning down risk and the dedication they've had to, to get us to where we are today is, is incredible. I have to add to what you know, Chris did say about the dedicated team, and they are very excited. Uh, both the NASA team and our commercial partners, you can feel that excitement that they are getting ready to do something new within the space program. So it's, it's, a, it's a great environment to be working in. And I've had some of my team members say, this is the best team that I've ever worked for because of that excitement and because of what they're, they're looking forward to. The team works great together. And we have seen how our teams have had direct influences on each other in a positive way. So it, it's, it's an awesome environment to be working in, and it's a great team to be work, working with. Steve, your thoughts on working with this team? With both the partner and the NASA teams, you have a, a very dedicated workforce that works many late hours going through the designs and, and trying to influence kind of the outcome and then also going in to substantiate and getting the right evidence for closure of these designs so we can have um, a, a safe flight for the crew coming up. So um, I, I think we, we do have a world-class team, so I um, really appreciate all the hard work of the NASA teams. Um, it's spread across probably four or five centers, and um, really appreciate um, all the hours that have been put into um, commercial crew. And this team has faced some challenges along the way, some external challenges, right? Yeah, we've actually weathered two different hurricanes, or I think it's three now, with a major flood in Houston. Uh, so we've had cases where one center was shut, shut down and the other center was still operating. Uh, we've had at least two government shutdowns and now the, the COVID isolation. So it's been incredible how the team has been able to weather all that. And bring in the fact, too, that we are a multi-center. You know, you've got us three on this podcast and we're from three different centers. So how we integrate the communication amongst all that has been a challenge, but we've also been able to adapt to that. So I think that says a lot to the determination of the team and, and the program to, to make all this work and how and also the creativity, how we address these challenges and how we can still work through all these it's also been great getting a chance to know the first crew. Uh, you know, they're not just anonymous astronauts. They're not just coworkers. They're often friends. Um, some of the first crew is in my scout troop. Uh, so it's, it's just, uh, it's nice to, to have that connection. And if I could add to the, the crew, the first crew, Bob and Doug, they've been at the commercial providers for meetings. They've visited the centers so there's more of a personal connection to the crew and, you know, the crew getting to know the team, and the team getting to know the crew. So I think that when you go back to the responsibility side of it, we know the people that we're going to be launching uh, more on a personal basis, you know, have a beer with them or go out, you know, have a, a celebration with them. So there's lots of opportunities to interact directly with the astronaut crew. Has technical diversity been a difference maker? Yeah, technical diversity, we, we kind of throw that term around a little bit. So um, so especially in the beginning of commercial crew, we were a very small team of folks trying to get into the designs, work with the, the both partners and understanding uh, which way they were going to go. So you had to go across the center and grab the wherever you could get the resource, and you would pick the best person for the job that would represent 
NASA or that discipline to the partner. So again, you have to kind of earn your way a little bit in on, on your technical capability. You have to show that the experience and, and the designs, and you can come in with data and numbers and analysis approach. So you have to try to convince them. But that technical diversity, that willingness to go across the centers, to go pull in um, experts, it could be um, a spacecraft um, designer out at Marshall for propulsion, helping the JSC guys on the spacecraft side. It could come in from different angles. could be bringing in the NESC folks um, into the um, in, into there with the tech disciplines, but um, having that technical diversity, the, that ability to go across the centers and get the right technical expert at the right time. The, the other part is when you bring together, when you have a problem and you bring a diverse group of folks, they have different backgrounds, perhaps perhaps have been launching expendable rockets for 30 years or perhaps have been doing ground systems. But when you bring them together and you start talking um, the, the technical problem that you're dealing with, um, it, you get a lot more solutions. You get a lot more um, diverse approaches on how you might tackle that problem. So I think technical diversity has been super key to um, commercial crew success on the NASA team and trying to work your way through the problems. I agree with Steve. And also to add uh, technical diversity, even within NASA, you've got your NASA civil servants and your contractors that have worked many different programs, you know, scientific programs, human rated programs. So to bring their perspectives, I think is key to solving some of these technical issues that we are dealing with. And not only NASA, but within our commercial providers as well, they have different approaches to technical solutions. So I think it's healthy to be able to try to solve a, a problem and you bring in different approaches and then you're able to, you learn from each other and you assess those approaches and you come to, I think, a better solution in the long run. So definitely technical diversity is key and different perspectives, different backgrounds, different strategies and approaches to an issue, I think is something that you want to encourage in any program to be able to look at other options of how you can approach a solution. How have the commercial crew partners transformed the way we do business? From the commercial crew provider's perspective, they own their vehicles, and we have input into their design and their operations. So it's a little different than NASA owning, having a contract to own the vehicles. So we work more in a collaborative environment, and we look more at how we can be efficient with the people that we have to support the commercial crew providers. I, I agree with Deborah. So um, I, I think at this point right now, it feels like a traditional NASA um, design closeout. We're really going through hours and hours of verifications, um, reviews of analysis. We're closing out our independent um, assessments and our independent modeling that was done. And so, so right now it's fear, feeling very traditional. So we're checking our procedures. We're going down our fault detection, isolation, recovery aspects of the design. So at this point, it's feeling like a traditional NASA design. I want to add something to Steve's because ultimately we are looking at safety. And that's the ultimate goal from both the NASA and their commercial providers, is we want to ensure their vehicles are safe, uh, launch vehicles and spacecrafts, so that we can transport crew. What would you say is the biggest takeaway from the work so far? I, I would say the biggest takeaway from the work so far is um, both the SpaceX team and the NASA team 
They're very excited to launch crew from U.S. soil with an American spacecraft. I, I think um, we, we can definitely see the, the passion on, on, on both sides of, of for human spaceflight. And I see a strong commitment to flight crew safety and ensuring that um, Doug and Bob get a, a great ride going up and down to ISS. And to add on to that, too, the pride, the entire team, the NASA and the commercial provider, we're all very proud to be working this program and to be looking towards the goals of NASA and the United States to be able to launch astronauts again. So everybody's just very proud. I'm very proud to be working with this very dedicated and very talented team on the NASA side and the commercial provider. I was talking to my grandmother recently and telling her what I do and what what we're doing. And she said, you know, you're making history and it's it's just something we don't think about, but it's true. And and I think a big takeaway is um, this is these two partners, both SpaceX and Boeing, they are having the first commercial sector human rated spacecraft launch vehicle design. Um, So this is this is new territory. Hopefully it will enable a little bit more growth in the market. And maybe um, human spaceflight might branch out beyond the government. So um, we're very hopeful that this commercial sector will start taking off. Well, this has been so much fun and so interesting. Thank you to all three of you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, Dina. Yeah, thank you, Dina. It's always great to step back and think about the cool stuff we're doing. You can learn more about the cool stuff NASA and its commercial partners are doing via links on our website at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast. Steve, Chris, and Deborah's bios and a show transcript are also available on the site. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, we invite you to take a moment to do that. And please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. As always, thanks for listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps.